All right. I'm going to dismiss our kids who are going to head over uh, to Kids Church and have a great time. Uh, they're going to have a great time. We're going to have a great time. I got I to say, I, I am so thankful for these guys leaning in today. You know, um, they did a fantastic job, and um, our, our audio video system decided to throw a lot of technical difficulties our direction today, and that always happens when Rachel's out of town. Uh, if you're new, Rachel is, is our worship leader, and, and uh, her and her family are on vacation, and you know, wouldn't you know it, that those crazy things always happen when someone's not here. So I'm deeply thankful for the team leaning in, both on stage and in the back, and just figuring out as we go. I do want to welcome you if you're watching online as well. Uh, we would encourage you if you're watching online. There's a digital communication card there. We'd love for you to fill that out. Thank you for worshiping with us. Before we jump into the Word today, and if you have your Bibles, you can open it with me to Romans chapter 12. If you don't have Bible, that's okay. We've got Bibles in the back. You can take one of ours. We'll have verses on screen today. Um, but we love giving away our Bibles. Just take one of ours and consider it yours if you need a Bible. Uh, we would love for you to have one. But I want to make sure you miss, don't miss something that happened this morning. We sang just a moment ago, it is well, it is well with my soul. Those are not empty words. When... When Horatio Gates Spafford penned those words, they were not empty. It wasn't that he was out, you know, like at a national park, living his best life now. It wasn't that he had everything all together and life was perfect. In fact, in that day, in his time, world transportation was difficult. And his family in a voyage across one of the great oceans was lost at sea. He took that same voyage later, and in a sense of grief, he penned those words. That in spite of what had happened in his world, losing his family, he could say, but you know what? Jesus still died for my soul. And Lord, haste the day when the trump shall sound, when all will be right again. When heaven is a reality back on earth, that even so is well, is well with my soul. Those were not empty words. That was soul care from the depths of what had been difficult. We began a series months ago called Soul Care. We later called it Soul Care 2.0, and today, I don't know, Soul Care 3.0, 4.0, something of that nature. But today, we want to care well for our souls as we study the Word. So will you pray with me once again? Jesus, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that your Word touches lives and changes lives, and we pray that we would have a heart change from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we began this series talking about love and grace and the fact that we need love and grace to reach below the surface of our lives, to change our lives above the surface. And we're now into those weeks where we're talking openly about some of those open, above the surface issues. We're largely talking as we end this series about grace and our relationships. And so last week we were talking about how grace changes our hearts towards encouragement. Today we'll talk about how grace and love change our hearts with a bent towards forgiveness. 
Next week, we'll talk about how love and grace change our hearts with a bent towards generosity. And the week after that, we'll talk about how love and grace change our hearts with a bent towards sacrifice. The bottom line is that we started the series with love. And what we learn along the way as soul care is practiced is that Jesus transforms our hearts so that our hearts love the way he loves rather than the way that's most natural to us. So we start with love and we end with love. And I guess I want to begin really in this place today. When I read the news, when I, when I look at social media, when, when I see what's happening in the world around me, I get discouraged sometimes, do you? Right, let's be honest. It feels some days like evil is winning. And I don't mean to make that political, but I do mean to say, because frankly, both sides claim that, right? They just blame the other side for being evil. But what I do mean is that there's not a day goes by where these days it doesn't feel like some new evil thing has been sort of unleashed in our world. And we look around and we go, what is going on? It's like the temperature's gotten turned up. And when evil blows up in our world against good, when two worlds collide, in fiction, our tendency is to want to see good rise up over evil. Isn't that natural? Every generation has written fiction where good would rise up over evil. Whether you're talking about you know, C.S. Lewis and Narnia, you're talking about Tolkien and Lord of the Rings, you're talking about, frankly, you know, Harry Potter and his gang rising up against evil in their time, against he who shouldn't be mentioned. If you're talking about uh, today and the comic books, and you think about the Avengers, what we look to in fiction is for superheroes to raise up and fight against good. Has it been long enough since the last Avengers movie? Right? We think it's, it's, it's the sacrifice of, I don't know, am I giving something away? Iron Man, right? That, <laughs> right? that causes the world to unite and f- suddenly the world is just kind of off on standby and, and evil is overcome once again because superheroes rose up. To fight evil. But what if good triumphs over evil? Not one cosmic battle at a time. What if good triumphs over evil? Not one superhero at a time. What if good triumphs evil? Not just one massive battle at a time, but one daily choice for grace. One daily choice for forgiveness at a time. What if good triumphs over evil, not by superheroes, but by unsung unheroes, everyday people like you and I, who follow the way of our Savior? I mean, the world doesn't need, frankly, superheroes. We already have a Savior. It's just our world tends not to want to believe in Him. But His way of daily grace still triumphs over evil one moment at a time. You know, there's this famous saying that says, all that is required for evil to triumph over good is for good men to do nothing. I think as I look around our world today, I see, especially the last few years, I see Christians fall into sort of three camps when it comes to good and evil in our world. Sometimes Christians fall into the camp 
of attacking back, right? We return evil for evil. We fight evil for evil, if you will. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. I see a lot of that on social media these days. Sometimes Christians want to remove ourselves from the possibility of being attacked. And so I see Christians want to gather together in sort of separation from the world, sort of, sort of like almost like communes or holy huddles where we isolate ourselves from the world around us. And I see some Christians who want to just say, hey, you know, culture's got a point. Evil's not really evil. And there is a sort of reclassification of evil that happens among some Christians where we go, you know what, it's really nothing that bad out there. Except people who vote different than us. But what if there were a fourth way? And what if it had nothing to do with politics? What if there was a, a fourth option to do what Jesus did? To live as Jesus lived for everyday Christians, for unsung, unheroes, to do a Christ-like thing, to let grace win the day? What if Jesus is still changing the world one act of grace at a time. If you have your Bibles, I hope you're reading with me. I'm going to read a couple of verses, and then I'm going to go back and teach through them. This is Romans chapter 12. I'm going to start in verse 14. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So a couple of things. One, this echoes the words of Jesus, who taught us to turn the other cheek, who taught us to go the second mile, to give when it isn't deserved. This, this directly impacts or is affected by the teachings of Jesus. And two, remember that the guy who wrote this is a guy named Paul, who also at some time in his life was called Saul, who persecuted the church, who hunted down Christians almost for sport. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. One day, this guy named Paul had an experience with Jesus, an experience of grace. It changed his life. And now grace began to define his life. And now he's telling everybody he can, everywhere he goes, about how grace changed him. I'm going to skip down. We'll come back to the in-between verses. But verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is our, this is our, way forward when two worlds collide. You know, I've said before, there are a couple of common truths about pain and hurt, and these should sound familiar because I know I've taught them before. One is hurting people hurt people, right? It's just natural. In fact, it's not just natural, it's fleshly, it's sinful naturey. It's, it's, like it, it's, it's like it's hardwired into us that when someone hurts us, what do we want to do? It's because it is hardwired in our sinful nature. You hurt me, I want to hurt you back. And again, I see a whole lot of that play out online. It's, it's like the nature inside of me is auto-set that when, when hurt comes, I just want to take the mirror and push it right back at you. That's what's natural. And so that consequently means, number two, that one of the great battlegrounds of maturity, that one of the great battlegrounds of Christ-likeness is how I respond when I've been hurt. That when someone hurts me, how do I respond to that? 
I say it's one of the less great battlegrounds of maturity of, of Christ's likeness, not because Jesus is sort of waiting till we're mature to work on this in our life. It's not because Jesus is waiting. It's because we're often holding him at arm's distance when it comes to hard moments where human nature would make it so, so easy to say, yes, I believe in grace, but I don't want to practice it in this moment. And so one of the last places in our life that has to be sanded away to make us more like Jesus is our reactions and our responses when we've been hurt. Another pastor once said that reactions speak louder than words, not just actions, reactions. That God is making me like Jesus the hard way. That what is it that makes me loving? When I'm in circumstances where it's hard to be loving and I choose to practice it anyway. What makes me kind? When I'm in circumstances where kindness is not deserved. But Jesus works in me to practice it anyway. What is it that makes me humble or patient or any of the other fruit of the Spirit? It's when I encounter circumstances where Jesus is sanding away the hard sparks in my life so that I am made to act more and more like the Savior who loves me, the Savior who's gracious towards me, who gave his life for me. I'm going to begin reading back again in Romans chapter 12, and I'm actually going to pick up in verse 1, even though I don't have this in your notes. Verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So what he has in view here is the complete mercy of God towards our lives. And quite frankly, if I read it right, then he, what he has in view is everything he's outlined in the first 11 chapters of Romans, the mercy and the grace of God. So in view of that, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, that this is your true and proper worship. Not just what we do on Sundays when we sing, but how we live our lives day in and day out a living sacrifice. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because I could teach the whole chapter and we could be here for a long time today. It might take a long time if I taught the whole chapter. So I'm going to skip some, inter some verses here because you've probably got lunch plans. I'm going to pick up in verse 9. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. And suddenly his sentence structure gets very short. Very, uh, if you're a music person, anybody do music growing up, you know? If you're a music person, then it gets very staccato here. It's just rapid fire, short little bursts of thoughts. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. What he seems to be telling us to do is take the sacrificial way of Jesus and become living sacrifices who practice that inside the church. This makes sense, doesn't it? We practice the way of Jesus inside the church with each other. But he goes beyond the church and he turns outward and he says, verse 14, bless those who persecute you. 
Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Hey, that's pretty clear whether I like it or not. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. He doesn't mean do what everybody else tells you is right. What he means is do in the sight of everyone else so that they can see you do right in the sight of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. On one hand, that verse really challenges me. As far as it depends on you, do your part. And on the other hand, I find great comfort because often I want somebody else to do their part so we can be at peace. But it takes two to tango, doesn't it? Right? And so I can't do their part. You know what I want to do? I want to sort of become God in their life and make them do their part because now I'm ready to do my part. And if I'm ready to do my part, they should be ready to do their part. So I'm going to make them make people. It never works. Never works. So you got to let it go. Let God be God. As far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will replay, repay, says the Lord. This is literally trusting God when justice moments are needed. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. See, I need this personal experience with Jesus where I receive the very grace and mercy of forgiveness of God. And in view of that mercy, I'm supposed to turn that back out towards how I treat other people. Okay, that makes sense. Can I tell you something? Don't tell anybody. This is much easier to preach about than it is to practice. I'm just being straight. I can stand here and talk about it all day, but truth comes out when I run into hurt with my kids, when I run into hurt with my spouse, when I run into hurt with my neighbors, when I run into hurt with my coworkers when I run into hurt with people in my neighborhood, with, with people in our community, when the politics of our lives blows up and evil seems like the only thing winning, here's what I've been trying to say, and it's the one thing I would say this message is about. If I could sum it up in a sentence, I would say it this way. Good will win over evil, one act of grace, one act of forgiveness at a time. When two worlds collide, it's not about superheroes who win the day. It's about a Savior who set a path of grace, of mercy, and of forgiveness. And it's about me practicing that grace and mercy and forgiveness. An unhero of sorts pointing to Jesus, our Savior, and living out his grace. Grace is just undeserved favor from an unobligated giver. God had no obligation to give us grace, and yet he sent his son who died on the cross for our sins. 
And in that, there is more grace than you and I will ever, ever, ever understand. There is more mercy, there is more forgiveness, that the depths of that can be explored for the rest of your life. You could go to school and study it for the rest of your life. You could work on living it for the rest of your life. And you and I will not fully understand this until we're on the other side of eternity. And even then, I wonder if we're not spending eternity. And I know that sounds like pie in the sky, clouds, like heaven is just this erythral. Like, what are you saying? We go to seminary in heaven? That sounds boring. Heaven will not be boring. But I think we'll spend all of eternity exploring the depths of the goodness and the grace of God with us, literally. But I notice that what my soul needs is not to preach about it, it's to actually do it. Because it's easy to say that good wins evil, one act of grace, one act of forgiveness at a time. But it's another thing, when I've been hurt, but, 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 but God, you don't understand, it really hurts. Yeah, because all those other people in the world, it didn't really hurt them, it just hurts me, you know. But, 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 but God, you don't understand how hard this is. Frankly, that's a little hard to look at a man hanging on a cross and say, God, you don't understand how hard this is. I've said this before, but when I go to my doctor and they say things like, well, we're practicing our medicine, you know, we're practi- it's a practice. Frankly, I don't want my doctor to practice on me. Right? I, mean, I had back surgery a number of years ago. One of the things I asked the surgeon, I'm like, is this like you're, like, you know, are you just still practicing? Or do you have this down? Because I want to know that you have it down. And he actually made a reasonable point. He said, look, if we're not still learning and we're not still practicing, you don't want to see a doctor who really isn't still practicing. Because if they're not still practicing, they're not still learning, they're not still growing, they're not staying up with cutting edge, they're not still... He said, we have to always be working at it. In the same sense, I want to challenge you with five practices of grace that come right out of this text that show up in our everyday lives. And I'm going to just admit up front, I can't do any of this without Jesus. If I think I can, I want you to look. If you say, hey, I can do this without Jesus, I want you to look back in your past and say, how often have I lived this way without Jesus? Number one. I need to practice the grace of blessing. Blessing. Now, that sounds like a good religious word, but here's what we're talking about. Blessing is the opposite of cursing. It shows up very clear in the text. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. They're cursing. Bless and do not curse. To curse, we're not talking about cursing in the sense of profanity, of of foul language. We're talking about cursing in the sense of wishing evil on someone wishing bad on someone. You've been hurt before. You want to hurt them back. You know what it is to want to curse, right? That's natural. This says bless, not curse. Bless those who persecute you. The word bless is interesting. It comes from a word that our word eulogy comes from. It's eulogio. Our word eulogy means that, you know, when you, when you have a memorial service, you have a funeral, you have something of that nature, someone gives the unity, what they're doing is they're speaking well of the person who has died. They're speaking well of. 
To bless is to do the same. It is to wish well on someone, to wish wholeness on someone. The, the Hebrew word for that wellness or wholeness would be shalom. It is to wish all of God's blessing onto someone else when what they're doing is persecuting you. This I find impossible to do on my own because the natural reaction inside of me is to hurt back, not to wish well. And if we really want to bring this full circle, to wish wholeness on someone else is to wish that their soul would be whole. This is practicing soul care with others, that my soul is whole when I'm wishing well for someone else, and their soul is whole when I'm wishing wellness, wholeness, completeness, God's blessing on their lives. Does this make sense? The most difficult piece of this is actually practicing it. It's why I need Jesus. It's why I need a living sacrifice in view of God's mercy. I can't, it's not natural for me to do this on my own. I love my kids with all my heart and they do something that, you know, sort of gets under my skin and what's natural for me to do? Right, this is with people I love. Deeply, like I say, I would lay down my life for my kids. I genuinely mean that. <laughs> would I lay down my hurts? Practice the grace of blessing. I need Jesus for this. Number two, practice the grace of empathy. If the opposite of blessing was cursing, then I'm going to say practice the grace of empathy instead of apathy. You can see how those words go together, right? Empathy instead of apathy. Apathy is to not care at all. Empathy is to enter in. Verse 15 says, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to mourn with those who mourn. When I sat down and I wrote these words, I got to thinking about the last few years. And I really got to thinking about how often the world around us heard Christians be empathetic about what our world has had to go through the last few years. Have we been empathetic? Or have we been apathetic? Or frankly, have we just thought about ourselves? Which isn't empathetic or apathetic, it's just, it's just pathetic. Like, I don't care about you. Like, well, I, it's great if you're rejoicing, but I don't really care because I'm not, and so I care more about me than I do about you. Well, if you're mourning, I'm sorry for you, but, but I'm not, and so I really, I don't care about you, I care about me. That's not empathetic. It's pathetic. Apathetic is when we literally go to the place where we say, I have no feeling for you at all. I wonder if we haven't missed an opportunity to engage our culture in better ways through empathy in these last few years. Again, this depends on my walk with Jesus. To rejoice with someone who's rejoicing isn't natural because, because, because we get jealous, don't we? Well, good for you. I'm glad you got to go to Italy on vacation. I'm, you know, sitting here at Walmart. And... Amen. To mourn with someone who's mourning is to, to, uh, to let go of where your soul really is and to enter into that mourning with them. Mourning, by the way, is intentional. 
Grief is natural. Grief happens. We shove grief down all the time. To mourn is to intentionally enter into that grief and to intentionally process the loss we're feeling. So to mourn with someone is to do all of that with them. Again, it's not natural for me to do this on my own. I tend to want to treat others the way they've treated me. Number three, I need to practice the grace of humility. Yeah, exactly. Whoops. That I need to practice in my own life the grace of humility, that, that Jesus must become greater and I must become less, and as I become less, then others become greater and I become less. Verse 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Literally, that means to be of the same mind towards, which is saying the same thing that Philippians chapter 2 tells us. And if you've never read Philippians chapter 2, like, look it up. If you've never been in the Bible, look up the table of contents, find the book of Philippians, and read Philippians chapter 2. It's one of the most powerful chapters in all the Bible. It will change your life. To have the mind of Christ towards other people, which, by the way, was a mind of love, a mind of grace, a mind of sacrifice. Our world says, hmm, no, I've got it figured out. These people, those people, I like these people, I don't like those people. But to have the mind of Christ eliminates these people and those people. And all the subcategories we attach to it. This doesn't mean that I think the way the world thinks. It means that I think the way Christ thinks towards people who are different than me. So whether their difference is one of race or social class or where they're from or what their background is or whether their gender is different than mine or whatever it may be, it is to see them as Christ sees them. And this goes to the core of my sinfulness because if I'm honest... Well, let me read what the rest of it says. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. And if, it, if that isn't clear, do not be conceited. Here's where that gets tough. When we have conflict with other people, and they've hurt us, and we're hurting them, and we're doing that whole cycle thing, hurt, 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 hurt. You and I tend to look at it this way. You hurt me. I'm right, you're wrong, I'm better than you, you deserve to be hurt, I'm going to hurt you back. They go, hmm, that's interesting. They say to you, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm better than you, you deserve to be hurt, I'll hurt you back. All day long, all day long, vicious cycle, right? Humility enters in, breaks the cycle, and says, all of us deserve nothing from God. Actually, what we deserve is his wrath. And Jesus broke the pattern. And Jesus entered into the world and plunged headfirst into a world that deserved nothing but his wrath, and he gave us everything, including his grace. And that relationship with God changes everything. And so what I bring to the table when others hurt me needs to be the humility of Jesus. So that I'm treating you as a child of God, created by God, 
that however Jesus sees you is how I'm going to treat you. I like to treat people, I would say, the way I want to be treated. But truth be told, the, the, the broken part of me wants to treat you the way you treated me. You're good to me, I'm good to you. Right? It's like we're all in the mafia or something. You're good to me. I'm good to you. My accent's not very good there. The bottom line is that I need Jesus to live his humility through me. This makes sense, doesn't it? The hard part's practicing it. Just two more. Number four, I need to practice the grace of forgiving hurts and letting them go. This is just making the point I've been trying to make all along. Grace and forgiveness involves forgiveness, particularly when I've been hurt. And instead of revenge, instead of payback, instead of bitterness, I'm going to release it to God. Romans chapter 12, verse 17, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right. Be, be mindful. Plan in advance to do what is right in the sight of everybody. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, whatever is under your control, live at peace with everyone. That's the same wellness that we were talking about with blessing. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. The human way of thinking is it's mine to avenge or revenge, and I will repay. Some of the most transforming things you'll happen to see in this life is when a family has been hurt deeply by someone else, when someone's been taken through murder, when someone's been taken through things worse. And you see a family find a place of forgiveness. That doesn't mean justice doesn't need to happen in this world, right? It doesn't mean that there's not a spot to say, hey, wrong is wrong and justice needs to happen. It's just not mine to mete out that justice. There are authorities in this world to bring justice. I'm going to entrust to God, and I'm going to forgive. And the only way I know to do that is by letting the hurt go, not just to the universe, but to a God who let go of my hurt, who let go of my sin, who let go of my wrongs, who separated them as far as the east is from the west. I am releasing my hurt, my sin, the pains and the sins of someone else towards me to Jesus. And I'm trusting that the Lord can bring justice and the Lord can handle consequences and that may happen in this side of eternity and it may happen on the other side of eternity. And yes, it's the same Lord who brings grace. But I'm releasing the hurt. One last thing, number five, I need to practice the grace of responsive kindness. Responsive kindness. The opposite here would be something like reactive payback. You hurt me, I want to hurt you. What, what's natural? To react. To react. I brought up my kids a while ago. My kids are 18 and 21. Yeah, that's, I'm still working on adjusting to that. <laughs> Most of you have watched them grow up. I find myself a lot these days saying, Brian, are you reacting or are you responding? 
Because when I respond intentionally like Jesus, that's very different than when Brian reacts. I say, yeah, but you're a pastor. You're supposed to like, you're supposed to be like Jesus. I'm a human being. Ask my wife, ask my kids. I need to practice the grace of responsive kindness. What did it say here? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't see too many people with burning coals on their head walking around in our culture. Right? This seems to be some kind of ancient reference. Some people think this goes back to the ancient Egyptians. That in, adjac- in the ancient Egyptians, a person would show repentance by carrying around a pan of burning charcoal on their head. Repentance. Or it may mean a more Eastern practice that came out of Oriental times. That If you just think about a long, 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 long time ago, no electricity, none of the modern conveniences. If it's winter and your house is going to be warm, what do you need in your home or in your tent or nearby? You need fire. When you go camping and it's cold outside, it's 34 outside and you're camping, you want that fire to burn hot, right? (laughs) What's the worst thing that happens? It's when your fire goes out. And in desperation in ancient times, someone would go to a neighbor and they would say, I don't deserve this. My fire went out. I need some new coals to start my fire again. Will you please help? And when someone was gracious, they would say, yes, I will help. And in kindness, they would meet that need. And literally, like I picture it more with water, but when you picture more ancient times and someone would put a jar on their head and they'd walk around with it, you know, kind of perfectly balanced because, you know, if you carry your jar of water like this, your back is going to kill you, right? So even places in the world today, you sometimes, I've seen this in Haiti, someone carrying a jar of something on their head, it balances the spine, it prevents the back from getting, right? So if you're hurling water from the water well to your home and that's all the water you'll get for the day, chances are you're, you're doing one of these things, right? So it's the same picture. It was heaping burning coals on the head because it would go in the jar and it was restoring somebody's ability to have warmth at home. It's meeting a need. It's what Jesus was talking about when he said, go the extra mile, when he said, turn the other cheek. The bottom line here, the summary of all of it is this last verse, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The reality is, and the bottom line of this is, is, I guess if I were to say it slightly different, I would say it this way, bottom line. Offering grace, especially when it isn't deserved, makes me more like Jesus. Doesn't that make sense? And it, offering grace when it isn't deserved, is what wins others. Because that's exactly how Jesus won me. Remember, Paul was a persecutor. How was he won? By an act of grace of Jesus Christ. He had a personal experience with Jesus Christ. And that grace got below the surface, began to change his heart. And it's that heart transformation that we all need. And that's how good wins over evil. One act, one moment of grace at a time. Can we attack back? Yeah, we do sometimes. Do we yell? Do we do, we do all the things angrily that the world... Yeah, we do sometimes. Sometimes. 
But does it work? Or does it fuel the cycle? Yeah, we can remove ourselves as Christians from the hurt and from the possibility and just say, we're going to have our holy huddles. And i got to be honest, this is easy to do. Like, if I look around my world, a lot of you are my friends. That's a good thing. But most of you, most, you're Christians. Am I insulating myself from the world by just surrounding myself with people who believe like me? Yes, you can bow down and submit to culture and you can redefine evil and you can, you can, we can go down those paths that Christians often go down, but I believe with all my heart there's a better way. And it's the way of Jesus where we overcome evil with grace, with love. One act, one moment of grace at a time. I don't know about you, but I need this. So I always end our service with prayers, two of them specifically. Today, I want to pray all of this for you and your family. Can I do that? Would it be a good thing if we prayed for it? Do you need Jesus the way I do? All right, so I always end with two prayers. The first is a prayer of salvation. If you need Jesus today, we should just settle it right here, right now. You can receive that grace, that forgiveness, that mercy of Jesus. You say, but I don't deserve it. That's exactly the point. He gave it when we don't deserve it. Would you receive it? You can pray with me just like this. It would be a simple prayer. Dear Jesus, I know I don't deserve it, but please forgive my sins, my wrongs, and all the ways I fall short. Jesus, please take over my life. Be my God and change my heart. Make me loving as you are loving, gracious as you are gracious. In Jesus' name. Amen. That's our first prayer, a prayer of salvation. And if you're here in the room or you're watching online and you receive Jesus today, Man, all of heaven is celebrating that. And honestly, we want to celebrate with you, but we can't celebrate it if we don't know about it. So I just want to encourage you to let me know. You can let me know on a communication card or a digital communication card. You can find me right after church. You can tell someone who invited you, but man, let somebody know. It's the biggest decision you'll ever make in life to make Jesus your God and follow him with all of your life. A lot of you made that decision a few days back. Some of us, it was, you know, five, six, seven days ago, and some of us, it was, you know, five, six decades ago. And no matter when it was, I find that I need to practice this every single day of my life, living sacrifice. And so I want to pray that for me, and I want to pray that for you. By the way, we celebrated last, last Sunday, worship in the park, we celebrated nine baptisms. That was amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, it was so cool. If you didn't get to experience that, we've got a little video of those baptisms that's up on our Facebook page. We'd love for you to see that. If you're interested in being baptized, you've recently given your life to Christ, we, we don't have to wait till next year's worship in the park to practice baptism. we got a holy hot tub. We put it right over here. We baptize as needed. So if that's you, you need that, let us know. I want to pray this prayer of application with us. And I don't want to pray it for you. I want to pray it with you. So would you pray this prayer of application with me? Dear Jesus, 
Thank you for winning me with grace, for overcoming my evil with your good in my life. Make me more like you, Jesus, a living sacrifice. Help me to practice a lifestyle of blessing instead of cursing, of empathy instead of apathy, humility instead of pride, forgiveness instead of bitterness, and kindness instead of payback. Do that in me. Do that in all of us so that we can overcome evil with good, even right here in our neighborhood. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm so glad you worship Jesus with us today. I told you that you were going to want lunch at some point. I, about, I would guess it's about that time. And so I'm going to dismiss this. But before we do, I want to encourage you to remember those communication cards. Uh, we've got baskets in the back. Again, our offering boxes in the back. If this has been meaningful in your life, you want to give in some way, you can do that online. You can do it through the offering box. But the bottom line is if you were here, and especially if you're our guest today, we're so glad that you spent today with us. We hope that Jesus is touching your life. Next Sunday, we're back, 9 a.m., 1045. We'd love to see you again. All of that said, I want you to go knowing that his grace really is enough. I want you to go in that grace. I love you guys. If I can serve you in some way, I'll be outside shortly. I'm so glad you're here. We'll see you next week.